Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're available beyond the FM dial. You can listen to us live at RadioNorthland.org or you can listen to the archived episodes. Yes, it's one nice little old page here. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host way down there deep in the heart of Texas, uh, I'm not sure what studio he's in just yet, but, you know, with with summertime, he d- does come a change in studio uh, setups, uh, but I am glad whether he's indoors or outdoors, it's always good to have him, the grizzled vet, Mike McCurdy. Mike, uh, how's it going uh, down there in Texas today? Oh, it's doing good, you know, we're, we're in the wet month of the year, so we've had a lot of a lot of thunderstorms, a lot of rain. I feel a little, you know, waterlogged, but, you know, yeah. far better than it was a few months ago when Texas decided to freeze, Ooh. so... Principally, you know, Texas is kind of back on its normal weather pattern. I'm in the indoor studio, by the way. Okay, you're in the I'm indoor studio. When, when when does the the, the mobile uh, movement begin? Then are you going to be uh, ducking and dodging that for the better part of the summer? Uh, well, school gets out June 11th, so the mobile studio will be opening shortly thereafter. Okay, okay, so we got to count down to that uh, anyway. Uh, oh. <laughs> Get Bolin on the show so he can show his concern. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kenny the Concerned Bolin. Yes, you can add that to his uh, multiple layers of nickname. Oh, man. So summertime, I, I guess I'm calling it summer. I know it's only uh, the, what, as we're recording, just the first few steps into the month of June up here in northwestern Minnesota. It's looking good. Sunshine. We got about 83 degree day with some breeze. So we're getting uh, warmed up a little bit. Tomorrow we're going to head up to 90, 95 degrees. So, yeah, that's uh, my update on uh, what weather is like up here in the North Country. Still no mosquitoes just yet. Oh, we got, we got, we got those. We got the mosquitoes. We got the fire ants. So, oh, um, the, I got to watch out when I take the dog outside. The fire ants, the extra insult to the party here. Well, so we're not here just to talk about weather, talk about what the heck we're doing, where we're recording, whatever the heck, you know, we are here to talk wrestling and uh, on our minds, uh, I guess uh, the last few weeks has uh, been this combination of both A&E and Vice uh, just really, really satisfying the the pro wrestling fans' appetite for more information. Uh, A&E with the WWE with their biographies and then their uh, their little collector's show that i keep forgetting the name of and then of course dark side of the ring with their latest season boy mike i have been just enjoying i've enjoyed the a and e stuff but i'm i'm i guess i would give the edge i'm more of the i, I think i like the dark side stuff a little bit better but not to uh, insult or uh, discount what the a and e's been putting out with the wwe which has been uh, pretty good good you know engaging stuff for people who want to listen you know start to learn a little bit more about these guys i've enjoyed the a and e documentaries i'm looking at them more as kind of introductory course though because obviously i think they're trying to appeal to like a mainstream audience so someone who may not know a lot they just kind of go here's a little introduction to each person mm-hmm. nothing really in depth nothing really you know hard hitting except for the macho man we're just going to butcher in peace uh just recently we had mick foley i think mick foley by far and no insult to our guests i think mick foley has had the best biography of the seven that have been aired so far. Yeah, I've been hear- hearing a lot. Of Mick had a great story. And by the end of the show, you just feel good. Mick was a feel good episode. Yeah, I it, really enjoyed uh, his biography. It, it went, it didn't go to the uh, trip typical end where it's the fall. And then it's like the, hopefully uh, either they're either, either they're either dead or they're on their way to redemption. But with Mick, yeah, it just seemed like it was a, a good, happy feeling to, uh, to leave uh, a look at back at his life. It was, it was, I think it was well done. Yeah. And as far as dark side goes, you know, They've had a couple of hit and misses, you know, this season. I, 
I was not really that impressed with their, uh, you know, their warrior piece. I, it just didn't feel like the show. Uh, and of course, time of this recording, tonight's episode is going to be in the shadow of Grizzly Smith. And from what I've heard and read, this one might be the most dark, depressing episode they've ever done. I'm reading stuff about Grizzly Smith and Jake Roberts and Rock and Robin that I didn't really know about. So I'm going to watch it, but even I'm a little hesitant of what I'm going to see tonight. So yeah, we'll, this, we'll, we'll see how dark, dark side goes. This one, yeah, could might not be for the week. You know, this this story has no. so many twists and turns, and you you know, I've heard so many stories from other people, you know, you know that have been in that circle have worked for or have been working alongside uh, Jake uh, and Grizz. And yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, not one of those uh, Mick Foley type, happy ending type of stories with this. And I, I think no. it's going to be uh, a very hot button issue, but we're here and we have a guest here to talk and focus on a more recent episode to uh, both dark side and a and E biography. Uh, they both in the same week, uh, Put out uh, two different pieces on Jim Helwig, a.k.a. The Ultimate Warrior, a.k.a. Warrior, as he changed his name uh, before many years before his passing. Uh, two two documentaries uh, on the, about the Warrior in a week. That was pretty pretty crazy, Mike. But we have some insight, and I know you have a guest that you have booked, and I can't wait to chat with him, too, that has uh, some some knowledge on, on, the, on the life of Warrior, the wrestling career of the Warrior, and, and just to engage about the Warrior here on this edition of Wrestling Memories. He's got a little bit of information little bit, little about, bit. about the Warrior. Just a little bit. And, of course, here in Texas, you know, we remember him as the Dingo Warrior, which we might talk with our guests, and I still don't know what a Dingo Warrior is. I'm a Texas historian, and I don't know what a Dingo Warrior is. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, yeah. For the people who watch the A and E documentary on the Ultimate Warrior, which very well done piece, you're gonna you're gonna recognize this gentleman. He was a very much a focal point of the uh, the episode. A lot of talking heads, and he was one of the main ones. He's an Ultimate Warrior biographer. That's how I caught up with him. He reached out to me about helping fill in his Texas years, which uh, we have been working on. So I thought it'd be fun to bring him on with all the documentaries and we'll talk, we'll kind of contrast and compare. And we're going to talk about the warrior because you know what? Hate him, love him or hate him, however you, however it was, we all remember warrior. At that point in time, everybody watched the Ultimate Warrior on the WWF. We all saw WrestleMania 6. So I'm looking forward to speaking with our guest. A very distinguished guy. He has a PhD. I don't think we've had a PhD on our show before. So that's you know, a little step up for wrestling memories. But our guest today is the Ultimate Warrior biographer featured in the A&E documentary, Mr. Chad Venters. Chad, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Anytime, man. Um, I was looking forward to this. Because like I said, when I reached out to you, with both documentaries going on, the A&E documentary is the dark side of the ring piece, I thought it'd be fun to kind of bring you on and kind of fill in some, some of the blanks and maybe do a little compare and contrast. But first question I'd like to uh, you know ask is, how did you become the kind of ultimate warrior bomber? Because as far as I know, you're the one of the only ones I know that's doing this. How did you get started in, in the interest in the warrior's career? I lost a bet. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, it was uh, it was really something that began for me back in uh, about 2009, and so in 2006 or so, I, I had kind of. Uh, checked out like what you know what's going on with the ultimate war i hadn't you know been watching wrestling for years and, and realized that this was shortly after the the yukon controversy uh with his speech 
And then uh, the self-destruction DVD had recently come out. And it just sort of caught my attention that when I decided that I, I wanted to go deeper into his story and to try to find an actual uh, biographical account, because at that point, what you had is this deep animosity between Jim Helwig and the WWE. And they're both just kind of taking shots at each other. There's, there's no real you know, attempt at a, a nuanced and balanced portrayal of his life. And that's really how it got started. And so it just started uh, with you know, looking into his, his history, his roots, and it just slowly grew over a decade into just full-blown biographical research and analysis. So how did A&E, or the, whoever was directing uh, the documentary, because each one's a different production team, I believe, how did they reach out to you and get in contact with you and started on this project? And when did all this actually start? Because I believe it's been probably a year or so in the process of putting together this documentary. It wasn't quite a year, and how it got started was uh, the the producer, a fellow named Matthew Chase, uh, sent me an email actually through my I'm a professor at a, a local uh, local college here, and so he got in contact with me through my account and said, "Hey, we just came across your website, and where did you get all of this stuff, and and where did you find these people? Because they were having a hard time finding people from his youth, like his high school football coach Gary Pate, that was featured on the documentary, uh, and so they had all these questions. And so basically, I, I did a phone call with him, said, you know, here's here's what I did, here's the stuff. I, I emailed him a bunch of stuff that I had, uh, and it just kind of grew from there. Where they were like, hey, um, would you mind having a chat with the director? And said, yeah, that's all right. And then, hey, would you mind being on the documentary? Hey, that's fine. And, and it just kind of evolved from there. But this was only back in November. And so they were actually on a very constrained timetable to create the A&E uh, documentary. So they were basically like on tour trying to get all these videos done. Uh, when they did my interview in January, the next day they were flying down to go meet with Dana Warrior and the girls for, for their segment for a couple of days. So they were just kind of going boom, boom, boom to get all of this in so that they could go into the editing process. So as you're, as you're working on this, you know, and they're asking the questions and you know, you've been doing all your research on the ultimate warrior in his life and history. You know, what were you kind of thinking of where they were going with the story or what were they looking for? Because I know sometimes, is, you know, especially for me, when people ask me questions, sometimes I'm a little defensive if I think they're kind of going a route that I don't really care for. You know, what kind of vibe were you getting during the, uh, during the film? So... In my my interview, we it did about about three hours on the interview, and you know, in sitting there, <clears throat> there was never any particular constraint on what they were asking. Uh, they they basically we just went A to Z. We went from his from his birth to his death uh, during that three hours, and and they were just kind of asking me to discuss the pieces. There was never any particular constraint about hey, can you rephrase this or anything else. Uh, I think that for A and E their team was probably also going not they were looking for a, a full story but then they were also going to have to you know work with the wwe as well after getting all of this stuff because obviously the wwe has its own vested interest in how the final product plays out now when the show aired um, did you get to see a preview of it beforehand or did you watch it like the rest of us when it when it aired on any the first time I watched it just like everyone else. Yeah, just first time, first time it aired is when first time I'd seen it. What did you think of it? Because that's one thing. Once it, it aired, everybody went on the internet. You know, Jim Cornette had his piece on it. We'll we'll talk about that. But everybody sure. was discussing it. 
And I, what was your overall opinion of their documentary? My reaction to it was, <clears throat> given the fact that, first of all, I thought it, it, was, it was a fairly nuanced portrayal of his life, as much as you can do in 90 minutes, right? With, with someone like Jim Helwig, they could easily have done three episodes on his life, uh, you know, er, er, early life to, uh, to, to WrestleMania six. Then you do a middle piece about his returns and his, his battle with the WWE over the ultimate warrior character. And then everything that happens after that until his death. I mean, you could easily do three episodes on him for a 90 minute episode. I thought they did a very good job of trying to get as much in there as possible. You're never going to be able to satisfy everybody in 90 minutes because there's just too much in his life to cover. Uh, but for, for everything that they're having to work with, I, I, I honestly thought it was impressive that they were able to get some of those pieces in, like, like the Yukon speech, the big blow up at the Yukon speech. Uh, that's not always something that you will get in a, in a WWE piece, but they did a good job of trying to get as much of the controversy in as well as the aspects of redemption. Now, speaking of that Yukon piece, that, that was the, uh, the speech when he was doing his uh, motivational speaker where he got into it with a, a member of the audience. I'm not going to go into details on if people haven't seen the documentary because I personally was a little offended by it. I think Warrior's kind of a his, – his right-wing conservative, whatever he was doing, I was not a fan. But I'm not – actually, I wasn't surprised they put that in there because when it happened, that was like national news. You didn't hear about Warrior, like, forever. And then all of a sudden, you know, former WWF superstar, Ultimate Warrior, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, wow. And you just read this whole just hate speech towards, you know, the, the gay community and all that. And you're like, whoa. I mean, it was national. So I'm not really surprised that they covered that at all because it was kind of a major plot point. Because, like I said, he, no career. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's all over national news and everything because of this. Yeah, and um, it, for me, it was my only concern was I, I thought that the A and E team would definitely want to address it. When you're dealing with the WWE piece, right? Like the, the WWE is not exclusively focused on just trying to tell history. You know, they also have these vested interests. You know, they try to you know they try to revamp history as they go, which is is not unusual for for an organization like that. So when I was watching it, I was hoping that they would at least address that because, like you said, that was a big thing. Uh, you know, when that hit, that was that was major news, and it was it was reassuring to me that they did address it, and they actually took some time to look at it and even ask you know Dana Warrior about some of the background of it. Jim Helwig is something of of a Rorschach. Whenever people look at his life, uh, they, they look at him, they can see great conservative, right wing nut job. Uh, awesome superstar of wrestling, uh, roided out guy who didn't have much ability. And all of that came out uh, in the documentary, not just in what was shown, but the reactions that people had to it. And that to me was an important thing, you know, addressing some of those controversies, which WWE isn't always big on addressing controversy with people who are, you know, kind of quote unquote, within the family sphere. I was happy to see that they did it because it, it's certainly something that needed to be looked at given how prominent that controversy was. And then in subsequent controversies he had about his blog and things that he said about people in there. Yeah. I read the blog uh, on his, that was on ultimate his ultimate university. I remember reading the blog and some of his stuff was 
so crazy political that I don't, but, you know, Jim Cornette, obviously in the dark staggering brought up points or on his uh, podcast, he brought up some specific points that Warrior made. Uh, mm-hmm. Got on very right wing. Now you talked about how when you sat down and spoke with the A&E people or the documentary people that you covered from A to Z from the beginning of his career to his death and all that. One thing that was not covered in the A&E documentary or the mm-hmm. dark side documentary was the WCW time, which mm-hmm. was kind of a weird little thing because he just kind of showed up, did that little bit with Hogan, and then he kind of disappeared. Like they brought him in specifically just for that. Nobody covered that. I don't know if maybe that, I mean, they covered everything else, but they didn't cover WCW. Any certain reason why maybe WCW isn't recognized or they just thought it wasn't really partial to the story? Well, what I'll say is this. I don't know if there was a, if a, a particular reason why, like, say, the A&E or the Dark Side didn't do it. One thing I will say, though, is this, is that given the time constraints, there were actually much more significant aspects of Warrior's life and career that could have been covered, that we really didn't even get touched on uh, in, in the documentaries to any satisfaction. So, Because c- I've been reading a lot where people have you know, talked about they didn't cover WCW. So there's something to keep in mind about that. WCW was about six months of his life. In, in looking at the big scope of, of everything uh, involved in the Jim Helwig story, Jim Helwig actually had two major lawsuits against the WWE. One was for the the rights to the Ultimate Warrior character, and the other was a suit over their release of the self-destruction DVD. The combination of those lawsuits lasted longer than his career with the WWE did, and there was really no address to either of those at all. So in my mind, in talking about sort of things that did not get talked about, the, the WCW piece is sort of secondary in my mind to the fact that like we had these major lawsuits that lasted for years and were part of the deep bitterness and enmity that grew between the two factions, and they really didn't get covered at all. So to me, if I were, if I were wanting to see more, it would have actually been on those lawsuits uh, far more than, than seeing a WCW piece. There's just too much to cover, and I think that's why WCW got uh, sort of canned. Now, for our listeners who might be interested, we'll give them your uh, your website information uh, at the end of the show. But you actually cover a lot of the the legal portion of the lawsuits. You've actually got some of the paperwork from you know the lawsuits available for people to look at on your website, correct? Yeah, and I I have um, you know I I'm, I've revamped my my site recently, and I'm getting some more of the the writing updated, and I'm getting some more of the documents. But yeah, I've got. Uh, thousands of pages of, of lawsuit documents uh, in, my, in my personal collection, and I try to get those up as I can so people can look at them. But yeah, I've, I've been through these lawsuits um, with just a, a fine-tooth comb, trying to understand the man himself, uh, because they are kind of a window into him. And so some of the things like, uh, for example, on the Amy documentary, you saw that piece about his his drug testing and his use of, of different medications, that's documentation that comes right out of the self-destruction uh, DVD lawsuit. And so uh, through this, you can kind of trace the things that are happening, trace even some of the, there was actually even a, a, a false quote by Bruce Pritchard on the A&E documentary that one can look at and see coming out of the, the drug testing and stuff from that era. Uh, and so, yeah, there's, I've got so much warrior documentation I've collected over the years. It, it's kind of disgusting. 
A, a false quote from Bruce Preacher. No way. Not possible. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's like one of his only. Now, it's like one of his only quotes, <laughs> too. And it, I'm like, well, that's not exactly true, but so be it. I, I swear to God, every documentary they have has to have the obligatory Bruce Pritchard cameo because he's in everything. <laughs> every documentary has one quote from like Bruce Pritchard sitting in a chair or somewhere with one little spot, and that's all he does. One thing I noticed about the A E documentary uh, that Dark Side of the Ring got more of is the people talking about Warrior in the A E piece. A bit more complimentary. I mean, you know, Vince kind of, you know, is he a, do you consider him a son? I already have a son. That's like my favorite line in the uh, entire episode. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it was more complimentary because they were presenting a positive piece. But I'm sure as you've done in your research and Dark Side showed, there's the other side where a lot of people, if not the majority of people, don't like him or didn't like him. They didn't like working with him. They didn't like him as a person. They didn't like him as a wrestler. You know, <clears throat> what made him, like they say, a polarizing figure. Why? What I mean, I've talked to people that absolutely despise him and the things they've told me I can't repeat on this radio show, but what about <laughs> Warrior is so, you know, you either liked him or you freaking hated him. Through the years, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who, who worked with him, who dealt with him, and there, there's, a, there's a combination of factors in play. I think part of it, and this is something that has come directly from the sources, and it was touched on a bit in the documentaries, was that on the one hand, there, there was a bit of the jealousy factor. Um, you know, he, he comes in, people recognize that he did not have really a, a variety of wrestling skills. A lot of the old school mentality about paying your dues and, and, and so forth, that wasn't really something that uh, he did, so to speak, at least in the minds of a lot of veterans. And so the fact that he kind of came in, had a great body, but was very limited, really set wrong with a lot of you might say the old school mentality of paying your dues going through the rigor and so forth because he shot very quickly to the top another side of that though i think is he didn't seem to particularly win over a lot of people personally through his own attitude and behavior a lot of people are of the mindset that you know when you're when you're in the group you're one of the boys so you need to you have to you need to act a certain way Jim Helwig wasn't like that. He, he was very much uh, kind of a loner. Uh, when I asked, uh, I've been asking for years, people I've interviewed, who can you think of that Jim Helwig was close to? And pretty much the only name I've ever gotten was Kerry Von Erich from down in Texas. Uh, beyond that, he, he wasn't real chummy with a lot of people. And, and that set wrong with people. He wanted to dress on his own, especially as he got to the top. You know, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to dictate things, especially as he got to the top. All of that really started to sit wrong with people who, who view wrestling as having a certain decorum. And within that, because he wasn't really interested in kind of playing by the rules of decorum, uh, that immediately ostracized him from a lot of people. And, and he sort of stayed ostracized for a very long time, not from everybody, but the people who didn't like him really didn't like him. And they have, and they have been very vocal about how much they did not like him. And that's just speaking to his career. Once you get post-career and you start getting into the lawsuits and the blogging and stuff, it takes on a whole new dimension from things he did said later on down the road. 
All right, well, I'm going to pass the mic over to Glenn for uh, the next round of questions. I'm sure he's got a few things you'd like to ask. Absolutely. This is Wrestling Memories, and we're talking Ultimate Warrior with Chad Ventures, our guest today. And uh, we talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, the early career of the Ultimate Warrior. And, of course, he broke in alongside uh, of uh, you know Steve, uh, Sting. Yes, yes, uh, Steve, of course, and uh, a couple of other guys in this unit that became Power Team USA. And a name that was uh, or that wasn't really mentioned it was kind of quick i mean it was a short part of early part of his career but it should, should get some mention as far as being a part of his story is rick bassman now rick bassman did have a role in the early development of, of what became the road that both sting and the ultimate warrior went on and let's talk a little bit about that because he didn't really to get too much of that information touched on that that part of his his career uh you know the association with rick bassman yeah uh so Basically, what happened was A&E went the route of talking with with Ed Connors because Ed had been sort of a mentor figure to Jim in the early 80s. Jim had lived with Ed for a while. And then um, where Rick Bassman and actually also Red Bastine, who I I don't remember being mentioned in the documentary, both kind of came into this is that after it became apparent that, that Jim was not going to have a viable career as a national lifter or or a, a, a body competitor. He, he, he went home, uh, but then he gets, uh, he gets contacted by Ed because uh, as the story is laid out that I, have, that I have talked to people, is that you have Rick Bassman here who has the idea of, hey, I want to take a bunch of these really big bodybuilders, and I want to create this all-American team called Power Team USA. And the theory behind it was that you've got you've got your your all American guy who's Steve Borden, and you've got an African American, an Italian American, and a Native American. Which, uh, apparently, Helwig was supposed to be Native American in at least one version of this story. And they they had a brief training uh, with with Red Bastine, um, uh, probably in in the later part of nineteen say. Uh, 80, 85. They did a few months of, of training. It was very quick. And then they started sending out the flyers. And, and from that, uh, it was uh, Steve, Steve Borden and Jim Helwig who ended up getting the chance to go wrestle with Jerry Jarrett. And their story kind of evolves from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you definitely can see the uh, the contrast of personalities uh, between you know Steve and and Jim because you know look at the pattern, look at the paths that they they went on. I mean, with uh, Warrior, you know, you know, becoming what the you know the mystique, the whole thing with the Warrior and Sting doing his own thing with the face paint, becoming this this icon over in, in WCW. Uh, what was that relationship like? Was there a, a, a a lot. I mean, I mean, you talk about he didn't have a lot of friends in the industry, but what was that uh, relationship like when they were teaming up and doing the power team stuff, both uh, with Jerry and then later on with Bill Watson mid south? So the the story that pretty consistently goes is that it, they were, you know, they had you know a decent connection whenever they first started to do, you know, their their tag team stuff. They're young, uh, you know, they're both trying to navigate this this ter- this territory together. And there, there was a friendship there. I think you could say maybe kind of bordering on the issue of brotherhood. But in Watts territory, they have a pretty significant falling out. And that falling out, depending on who you ask, uh, happened for different reasons. But regardless, this falling out, I think, and it's something that plays out in Hellwig's life pretty deeply, 
uh, he was someone who was really looking for connection, uh, especially with uh, his, his dad having abandoned the family and his youth. Something that didn't get talked about in the biography was that uh, it, when he was around 20 years old, he actually moved down to Hollywood, Florida to try to reconnect with his dad and actually lived with his dad for a spell. And it apparently didn't work out very well because he ends up moving away and he doesn't have much of a relationship with his dad at all from, from that point on in his life. Going, uh, going with Steve and, and trying to establish this career together and, and having this falling out uh, because of, of something to do with Watts' territory, uh, that more or less for Jim Helwig severed the relationship in large part. And that, that's a pattern in his life, is that when, when, a, when a thread is broken, it's usually pretty darn broken. Uh, the, the one exception to that may be Vince McMahon, uh, for specific reasons related to how Jim viewed Vince McMahon. But he goes to Texas then, and that's when he starts to, to find a bond with Carrie Von Erich. But uh, unfortunately for them, they, they had a really, what looked like a really good bond at one point, maybe even like a brotherhood. But once it got severed in Watts' territory, that, that was about it. And this uh, relationship with, with Carrie, it was not only in world class, but for a while they worked alongside each other uh, for a spell when Carrie was in uh, the WWF uh, working as the Texas Tornado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the rumor has it that um, Helwig was was wanting to see Carrie in the WWF. And I've had former WWF talent tell me that when Carrie was there, that was the person that Jim had the best relationship with. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were good friends. And uh, what I've, I've heard from the WCW side of it is that they were, they were very close during that period when they were in Texas. And in fact, uh, something I pointed out uh, before is that even if you watch Jim with appearance and physique while he's in Texas, his overall look starts to take on more characteristic uh, feelings about Terry. He, you know, when he comes in, he's got a mustache, he's kind of got that sh- hair. If you watch, as, as the time goes in Texas, the hair starts to get longer. He and Kerry apparently used to work out together. And his physique even starts to get less of the gigantic muscle-bound look, and he starts to become more of that uh, felt, jacked look, very much like Kerry did. And I think that whether consciously or subconsciously, that played a role in his evolution as a wrestler. I'm just thinking about it in my head now, you know, if things didn't, you know, you know, would have worked out differently in a parallel universe. The Dingo Warrior, uh, modern day warrior would have been something that the a parade of champions could have been remade on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as far as I as far as I know, and I've kind of looked into Vince, you know, looking at these different guys, my understanding is that Vince was very interested in, in Kerry much earlier than Kerry went to the WWF. Uh, he was, he was, he had a strong interest in Kerry from the get go. Uh, Vince McMahon being interested in Kerry uh, a little bit earlier on, uh, quite a few years, maybe even before uh, Kerry went to the WWF. I mean, uh, this you could probably trace this back to when Vince had his eye on, uh, you know, promotional, you know, his promotion and the big expansion movement of the, the mid 80s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you look at WCCW at that time period, uh, you know, and you think about the talent they have there, and you definitely saw guys, you know, Rick Rude ended up going to the WWF as well. It, it, you know, Vince had his eye on a lot of those guys, 
But in terms of like the Von Ericks, uh, you know, and, and what was happening with the Von Ericks at that time, yeah, I don't think I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that Kerry would have been the one that Vince McMahon would have would have zoned in on because he had that kind of muscly look that McMahon loved in his in his wrestlers. And you talk about Vince McMahon and the uh, complicated relationship between Vince and Warrior. That's basically putting it quite mildly. But Warrior also had a, (laughs) but Warrior also uh, not only just Vince, but he had a connection with the family and uh, very much uh, Linda McMahon too had a big part of his life. I remember seeing and reading things a few years ago about that, about how you know Warrior had a trust in Linda, not only with Vince but with 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 the wife as well. Oh, absolutely. he he actually took to at one point in the in the early mid nineties calling Linda McMahon mom, mm-hmm. and and he you know he really felt a connection with her and this I, this again I think goes back to that crazy dynamic that he had with the McMahons because when their relationship completely came apart in ninety six and uh, they and and the McMahons started uh, you know talking to to Helwig's lawyers and saying hey, uh, we feel like your client has not acted in good faith on the contract that we signed with him and that this was all just a ruse to basically get control of the Ultimate Warrior character. Uh, a lot of that stuff came directly from Linda McMahon. She was signed off on it. And, and this is something that came up in their, in their court case. You had, you had Jim talking about in his deposition that you know, he, you know, he's got this relationship with Vince. You know, he, he's calling Linda McMahon mom. She's saying love you, and then all of a sudden, it's like they pulled the rug out from under him. At least that's how he felt about it. Yeah, they had a, a very uh, convoluted relationship, partly because it was so built on I think him trying to find that close surrogate family in his life, mm-hmm. and boy, it just came apart in a in a terrible way in the mid-90s you know that his self-doubt his uh you know having been abandonment issues i mean those are a lot of things that really really uh painted you know planted some seeds in his mind and really uh, developed uh, a lot of those relationships the the way they ended up uh you know was just his, having that 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 self-doubt but you know and dana warrior was in and his daughters were featured prominently in the a and e doc bi- uh, biography but on the dark side mm-hmm. of the ring uh we brought uh uh, they opened up another portion of, of Jim's past in the form of his wife, uh, first wife, Sherry. Now, she had a very interesting mm-hmm. take on the early part of his career when he was starting to build up and and, and be focusing and, and getting himself laser focused on finding his way to success. It was a very interesting perspective uh, to hear her story, too, not only just hearing from Dana, you know, and the daughters, but to have, you know, Sherry's uh, spot, you know, too, in this whole thing. Absolutely. I, I was really glad to see that Dark Side got her into this uh, because she was a, an extraordinarily prominent figure in his, you know, in his early life. I mean, they were married for nine years. She was there uh, from the time that they were basically dirt poor uh, through the period of getting into wrestling. And then, of course, by the time that he became the megastar of, of the WWF. And so, yeah, she, she's had a very important and prominent voice in all this. Obviously, she's going to have a different take on Jim Helwig than Dana is because their relationship did come apart. But, yeah, I, I, was, I was very glad to see that she was given a prominent voice in the dark side so that we could understand that early phase of his life as well just a little bit better.
Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, about bringing it back to Dana Warrior, I mean, she didn't have a lot of uh, really complimentary things to say about the dark side presentation of her husband's uh, life and career. So she's uh, very, very protective still uh, of, of the legacy of Jim. But she wasn't exactly, very, like I said, very complimentary about this this uh, side of uh, of Jim's life. No, absolutely not. And I, I understand why. You know, and it's something to understand is that she had she had made the the smut and filth comment uh, before it even aired, and so I, I doubt that she had actually seen like a preview of it or anything. But I, I understand why, as a spouse uh, and, and a widow, protective uh, of her husband's legacy, why she probably expected Dark Side to have been just sort of a hit piece. Because when you looked at the lineup, your your key your key members are are you know, Jim Ross very adamantly did not like Warrior. Jim Cornette absolutely loathed Warrior. Uh, his uh, his ex wife, who you know I, I thought was was quite complimentary overall. I mean, I thought she had a very nuanced view. But again, you ex wife, you, you know, one never knows what to expect. Jake Roberts, who hated Warrior, and then. Eric Bischoff, who, you know, Bischoff uh, is probably of that group. He has been the most, at least, complimentary uh, professional part uh, of Helwig's career. You know, he's had sort of mixed comments about it. But I can understand as to why Dana Warrior would have expected, yeah, all they're going to do is just take 45 minutes to, to, to rag on my, my dead husband, and, and that just doesn't sit well with me. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation as we're uh, remembering the ultimate warrior with our guest, Chad Venture. Uh, Mike, I know you've got more questions. Uh, one thing I'd like to bring up, we were talking about Carrie and going to the WWE. Uh, one of the popular stories about that is Carrie actually was considered for the spot that Jim eventually got as the Ultimate Warrior. Um, but due to, obviously, the one thing about the Von Erics that, you know, I think a lot of our listeners, you know, may not understand completely is very much a family loyalty thing. And Fred and didn't want the boys going here because Chris protected his boys. The boys did not want to leave their dad. They were gods here in Texas and still are to this day. People, you know, you know, revere the, the Von Erics. And uh, so that's why when you finally saw Terry go into the WWE, it was after like pretty much world-class was on its last legs. It was folding and it was an opportunity for Terry to move on. So that's kind of the general story on that one. And another reason why we have the ultimate warrior and Chad, you might have more, story behind this is that Vince knew that that you know there was the modern day warrior and there was the road warriors he wanted the ultimate warrior and part of that was a kind of a thanks for not coming to uh Carrie who was obviously the modern day warrior yeah and it, basically that's that's the gist of the story one thing i Vince probably like any number of people you know even as you talked about at the beginning what on earth is a dingo warrior? Like the name itself didn't really make sense. You know, he's he's a he's a an Australian warrior from Queens, New York, right? Like it was just it was a bizarre mixture. <laughs> but um, but what uh, but Vince hated the name Dingo Warrior, and he never intended to use Dingo Warrior. And I think making that switch was part because you know the, the name you know in Vince's mind it was just a stupid name. Like he, he didn't want really any particular relationship to that promotion. Uh, he wanted to, to engineer Hellwig as his own creation. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't think that there was any way that Dingo Warrior was ever going to stick in the realm of, of Vince McMahon's world. Oh, no, never. Not, a, not, not yeah. at all. Uh, and yeah, like you said, the Dingo Warrior from Queens, New York, which is always hilarious. 
which is kind of what you look at when he went to the WWF. Vince actually took pieces of what he created. Because you could see the beginning of the Ultimate Warrior in world class. Vince then just kind of took it, polished it, and created, you know, which is what Vince does. And regardless of what you think of him, Vince is a master at that. He's able to create, you know, visions, whatever, and make these stars. It's something he's always been able to do. And that's what he did with the Ultimate Warrior. Um, As far as Jake goes, though, um, if you listen to the recent Cornette podcast and Brian Last talks about it, the Jake story in the Dark Side of the Ring does not hold a lot of water and, in fact, may not be entirely truthful. Surprise from Jake. Um, But because Jake was not really promised a title. There wasn't because their timelines did not coincide together, really. So the run Jake was going on was not happening at the same time because he was supposed to get a run as the champion. Ultimate Warrior wasn't the champion. Ultimate Warrior was never the champion at the time that he was doing his thing with Jake because it was after he lost. So he, so Jake's story is a little convoluted as far as he was promised a championship run because Warrior did not have a championship at that time. So yeah, a little bit yeah, of that a inconsistency. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and quite honestly, Mike, that does not surprise me at all. Not just, you know, because we know from a, a multiple how bad um, uh, the memory is anyway, and, you know, whether it's eyewitness testimony or whatever, you know, the, the mind does tricky things anyway. And you think about a lot of these guys, who, you know, not only did they spend years sort of, you know, abusing their bodies in, in what they do in the ring, but also through various substances and just living hard and everything else. Quite honestly, I'm surprised that a lot of these guys are able to remember what they do, right? Like, because, I mean, the, just the, the amount of, of, of abuse that most of them put on themselves, uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wreak havoc on their memories. And so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he, he's off about these types of things. That's, in a lot of these interviews I do, that's why you're constantly in, in, in a journalistic standard looking for two, three sources to independently verify things and so forth. Because uh, otherwise, you'll easily get guys who, who miss, you know, years on stuff here and there. Uh, it happens all the time. And, uh, you know, the mind just plays tricks on us as people. It's kind of like the old gold mining philosophy, as I like to call it. You know, you got to take everything that's told you, put it in your sister, and you got to shake it, and you got to sift out all the feces to get the little flakes of, uh, you know, nuggets of information that are actually legit and you can actually use. Uh, and like you said, it is an unfortunate uh, side effect when it comes to talking to some of these guys because, as somebody once said, they tell these stories so many times that they, it just becomes the truth to them. After a while, this becomes yeah. a reality. This is really what happened. You know, and we were talking about Most Wanted Treasures, which is the name of the WWE uh, show on A&E about the, 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 the memorabilia that people can't find, but they always go and get it. Uh, Jake also has <laughs> an issue with the Honky Tonk Man because, according to him, the Honky Tonk Man is the reason why he's drug addicted and alcohol, even though, as Jim Cornette pointed out, Jake was already on stuff before the Honky Tonk Man is. Honky Tonk is responsible for something that Jake was already on, according to Jim Cornette. But we're not, we're not here to bash Jake. <laughs> that could be a whole other show. We could talk about Jake Roberts for you know, a while. Um, but it brings up a point, and this is something that bothered me about the uh, Dark Side one. A&E documentary, most of what they told, you know, I correlated it. I've heard the stories, read your side, some of that. Dark Side, you get Jake. And I was promised, and I hated him. And I had a roll of quarters, and I was going to punch him in the face. 
No. Um, Jim Cornette going on there and bashing him and this and that. Jim Cornette's more legit in his background on him. Jim Ross, no, nah, he's got it. I didn't like the fact that Dark Side relied on a lot of stuff that is, honest to God, not the truth. Yeah, and I think with, you know, with Dark Side, right, or, or with any of these things, it, it's kind of like whenever you read, read books, like whether it's a, it's a book about wrestling or any number of things. You know, a, a lot of times a, an editor is not particularly interested in making sure that everything is true. It's more about the sensationalism, right? And I, I don't know that Darkseid is going through like an in-depth process of validating everything that their interviewees are saying. Uh, I, I doubt it. Uh, but, you know, part of it is, of course, the, the sensational aspect. And part of it probably is just, honest to God, these guys remember it this way or think it happened that way. And it just absolutely didn't, you know, my, my impression of, of years of doing interviews and research in this field is that most of these people, when I'm talking to them, it's not like they're going back to ledgers or, or old documentation. Everything in their interviews is, is literally coming right off the top of their head. And, and they may very well remember things that way. They could even probably pass a polygraph that says, yes, this is what happened. But that doesn't mean it's accurate because, again, the mind is a funny thing. And that's something in biographical writing you really have to take into account is people remember things in, in crazy ways that didn't actually play out. But in their mind, that's what happened. Right. One, one of the, the best examples I ever have that is Rick Flair back when – I think it was the Woo Nation podcast. One he first did was Conrad when Conrad was, nobody knew who he was yet. But Ric Flair actually made the comment that he was in Puerto Rico the night that Brody died, which is complete and 100% utter BS. He wasn't there. He wasn't in Puerto Rico. He was not part of the show. But that was his story. And I've heard the story multiple times. So you, you are correct. They do tend to start believing these things. And everybody goes, oh, wow, really? And you're like, no. But... <laughs> Still, the Jade story and Dark Side of the Ring, I kind of looked at him going, what was Warrior? Because Warrior didn't have, and like Brian last said, he didn't have a, Warrior did not have a championship title. So I don't know why Jake has an issue with Warrior. If he has an issue with Warrior, you know, he definitely wasn't in the Hall of Fame with a roll of quarters ready to, you know, punch him in the face. That wasn't going to happen. But right. you did see footage of Warrior talking with him and apologizing for something, which I thought was weird. So obviously there's something, but we, we just may never know what's it. What the story is. Uh, it's something I, I will tell you is that from, from years ago, back in 2009, when I was trying to get an interview with Jake Roberts about Warrior, uh, that man does not like Jim Helwick. Uh, and I don't know the full nature of what it is, but even just in that personal exchange that I had, uh, his, his, his assistant at the time wrote me back and, and basically based on my request said, Jake thinks it's laughable that you're willing to do, that you're wanting to write a biography about him. However, he'll do an interview with you for $500. And if you promise to sign an agreement that you won't sue him, if you're offended by what he tells you, because you will be offended. Like that's, that was what I got just from asking like, Hey, would you mind doing an interview with me about the ultimate warrior? And I mean, boy, it was just, it was like, you know, just uncorked on me. So whatever it is, there's definitely a disdain there. Um, you know, what the truth of that is, I'm not entirely sure, 
But yeah, they they really do. and don't get me wrong. Warrior took shots at at, at uh, Roberts as well. I mean, he made fun of him uh, tremendously for video of Jake doing backyard wrestling. I mean, oh, he had a field day with that. So I don't even know what the background is, but yeah, uh, one thing I do know is that those two guys did not like each other uh, prior to you know in 2014, where we see them at least on camera apologizing. Uh, how they feel about each other now. Uh, or, you know, how Jake does and how Warrior felt at the end of his life, who actually knows? I mean, that, that's up in the air. Um, talking about sharing her her part of uh, the Dark Side episode, and you and I talked about this offline and uh, off the show, and that's Sherry talking about how she had called, he became the ultimate warrior. Once he got big, mm-hmm. Jim became the ultimate warrior. He wasn't Jim anymore. And she had called the hotel room, and there was a woman with him, and I told you that I've heard that, you know, there might have been more than just that one. We're not going to go into dish and dirt. But an interesting uh, theory that's come up is that they, people have connected Warrior. I guess he dated Melanie before she met Brian Pillman. And now an interesting mm-hmm. theory is, is the woman that Warrior was with when Sherry called was Melanie. What do you think on, that? What do you yeah, think on this theory? Because I thought that's kind of interesting that people have created this whole, you know, the, you know, the Warrior and Melanie. The portion of the program now based off just a little bit from dark side yeah well there's there's been years uh, of rumors about something to do with melanie pillman uh part of it was like there was there was this rumored story that melanie pillman uh like came one night and was like outside house and all sorts of things about possibly something with warrior and, and melanie pillman I have never been able to get any firm uh, source to talk about it. Like nothing that has ever actually come up in my research that would give me comfort in saying, yay or nay, something happened. Uh, it's, like, it's like so much of the wrestling rumor mill. Uh, there's, there's constantly stuff that, that's being thrown out there, very gossipy world, but trying to pin it down in a, in a, in a journalistic standard, entirely different story. So the truth is, I don't know what to make of it other than to say that, yes, there's been years of rumors about different things with, with warrior and Melanie Pillman, what actually happened. I can't say at this time until I get someone who can actually clarify these things with some pretty good accuracy. All right. Uh, one thing I'd like to discuss before uh, we wrap this up today, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the the end of his career, the end of his time. Uh, you know, he goes through all this, left the WWF, the right-wing conservative, and basically just totally destroys the character he has. They do the self-destruction DVD. They finally bring him in. They make him in. They put him in the Hall of Fame, which I thought was great. I loved, I loved his speech. He came out with his daughters. I thought it was great. Uh, you know, then he comes out on Raw. The next night, or after WrestleMania, he's got the jacket that Rob Schamberger painted for him, and he's in the ring, and he puts on the mask and does the speech, and you're just like, wow, it's, it's the freaking Ultimate Warrior. He's back in the WWF. He's given the speech. You know, he's got that energy about Warrior. He didn't look good, unfortunately. And then the next day, no. we all know, is, is when he passed. Um, the speech was very interesting based on what he said and then eventually what happened. But it's good. It's almost like the like a if you can have a perfect way, it's the perfect bow on your life and career because you have this redemption of the Hall of Fame. You do the big speech, and then you're like, okay, you fade to glory, and off you go. I know it sounds weird, but it almost seems like if there's a perfect way to go, Warrior had it. My thoughts on this are kind of twofold: is that from the perspective of his ability to reconnect with 
uh, especially the McMahons. I don't think he was particularly concerned with connecting with a lot of his colleagues. Uh, that to me was very secondary. But reconnecting with Vince and Linda, that to me was the biggest piece of it. I would never call it a storybook ending, though, because if anything, what what research into Jim Hel- yeah, what what research into Jim Helwig's life shows is that more than anything, you know, his, his family is truly what he came to cherish in his life, and uh, the fact that he had an understanding from the time he was thirty-seven years old when his dad died that he had a short shelf life. Uh, he 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 truly believed this. He he thought he was living on borrowed time. And by the time we get to, you know, 2014, he's 54 years old. Like you said, he does not look good. He's clearly struggling. I'm very positive he understood he was not meant for the world much longer. Not necessarily like the next day, right? Like we're not talking quite that quick. But I'm, I'm fairly positive he knew for a few years things were not going well. And that this was uh, this was borrowed time for him, and, and so yeah, I think what you're saying is absolutely true. He 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 definitely he had a nice bow on his life and his career. Absolutely, uh, when people and this is not what you said, but other people have kind of said something like storybook ending. Uh, well, not really, right? Like you know, you've got you've got two little girls and a wife who are without the most important you know male figure in their world. So it certainly wasn't a storybook ending, but I think you put it very nicely. It was a nice bow on his journey. Years from now, people are still going to remember, you know, when, uh, you know, the warrior passed, they're going to remember the speech. They're going to remember the Hall of Fame induction. And then it's basically he, his, his death will always be remembered just as a circumstance surrounding him. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, you know, he basically on Monday Night Raw gave his own eulogy. Like, that's something that's always going to stick out, right? It is when you listen to what he said, it was like giving a eulogy. He, he gives himself a eulogy and dies the next day. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you're just like, you know, wow. You know, that, those are the kind of things that hit us hard as, as people. You just go, wow, that, I mean, how did that happen? You know, that was, that was crazy. And it, it just kind of uh, almost seems to fit with the person of Jim Helwick. All right, well, before we wrap this up and I hand the mic back over to Glenn, uh, we've talked about your website and all that and your research on the Ultimate Warrior. Where can our listeners go to, you know, find your archives and, you know, find out more about the Ultimate Warrior? Because, you know, between the two documentaries and this show, you know, there might be some peaked interest. Sure, yeah. So uh, the website is ultimatewarriorbio.com. And uh, on it is where I've done uh, several years of writing and research has gone into it. I have some documents up there. Uh, and and I'm working on getting more documents uh, on the way as well as I'll be doing some more entries throughout the summer as well. But yeah, there's there's lots of information now. If someone wants to go on there and digest, there's plenty to read and uh, and some good information that one could look at if if they're just kind of fascinated in getting behind the man that was the Ultimate Warrior. Well, I know I've read it and enjoyed it, and you know I've enjoyed being able to help you kind of fill in some of the Texas years, which we're still working on. There's still a few holes here and there in the. Uh, in the Texas time, but we're going to get that fleshed out. But I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn for uh, the end of the show. Well, yes, uh, it is now time to wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories. A big thank you to Chad Ventures. Uh, yeah, what a fantastic chat about the life of the Ultimate Warrior. For the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories.